Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Excited to talk to you this morning about uh, John the Baptist a little bit more. We uh, began talking about that last week, about him and his ministry. Um, please join me in prayer just for a moment. God, uh, we ask that you would guide our steps as we look at your word. God, I pray that this is not just a time of education and filling our minds with uh, thoughts, but that you would be rearranging our heart, that you would be taking out that which is not of you and replacing it with uh, thoughts of your own that would uh, include changing our life and our actions as well. God, thank you for each one here today, and I ask your blessing on our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week when we looked at uh, John the Baptist in uh, chapter 3, the first uh, few verses, we found out that he had a message, and the message was repent. It was a very simple message that change needed to happen, that repentance was what goes on in our heart that would, as God rearranged our heart, it would come out in our actions. And uh, that was his message. And many were coming. The, the people were coming outside the city. They were leaving the city and going out to the wilderness to hear this guy preach. And his message uh, was different because most messages don't say change. They just say, uh, just a little bit. Change something on the outside. Uh, but it wasn't just his message that was peculiar. It was his look. Uh it said that he wore a camel's hair uh, outfit with a belt around it. And uh, it also said that his diet was somewhat peculiar as well, that he ate uh, locusts and honey, kind of lived off the land. And you can picture even today where we would go, ah, doesn't look like a preacher. Ah, doesn't look like situation I really want to be a part of. I don't want to go outside the city. That seems kind of weird. And yet, the people were flocking. They were flocking out there uh, to go see him. And not just to see him, but to hear him preach. And not just to hear him preach, but to accept the message. And even in that, uh, they were baptized, identifying with the message and say life was different. Well, undoubtedly, as these uh, men and women uh, went out to see John the Baptist and come back, we don't know all the time frame of this, but we come to our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 3, and it tells us a little bit more, really a different message that, uh, not too different, but a, a slightly different message that John had uh, for this other group of people. And we'll pick it up in verse 7. It says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. So, we don't know how all this came about, but many were coming from the city, that they were all flocking to him. And then it says that he saw the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees coming as well. Uh, I want to talk to you just a few minutes about the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. A lot of times we group them together as one group, Pharisees and Sadducees, Sadducees and Pharisees. They were religious leaders of the day, and that's who they were. The problem with doing that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't get along. They didn't agree. They didn't have team meetings together. They didn't uh, cooperate. They had totally different ideas about what it was to be 
a part of God's people. The Pharisees, uh, really their name is the idea of being set apart, set apart. And when you think of being set apart, what other words of the scripture come to your mind? Think about that. Set apart, set apart. Well, one word that we use all the time, it's found throughout the scripture is holy, holy. Or maybe the other word uh, would be uh, that of sanctified, of set apart. And let me ask you a question. Is it good to be holy? Yes. Some of you, uh, uh, some of you were like, that, that was the biggest setup for a trick question ever. You know, the way he was going, I, I know the Pharisees aren't good. And he just said they were set apart. And he said that kind of reminds him, I just doesn't sound like he's tr- setting me up for something here. And I kind of was. Um, yeah. So, so you have this group of Pharisees that see themselves by name as being set apart. The, re- the religious leaders of God's people. And, and you look at that and you say, something's wrong. Something's missing, especially as we go on in our study. Uh, there's not too much good being said about the Pharisees. You might look over in the same book, Matthew chapter 23. And it talks more. Jesus, as he uh, was born and had his earthly ministry, he spoke of the Pharisees as well. And in uh, chapter 23, he says, It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders. (laughs) They lay them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move with their finger, move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Jesus uh, explains what's wrong with the Pharisees as he goes on. He says, it's an outward show. It's not holiness of heart. It's holiness of outward appearance. It's, It's the idea that they're motivated to do what's right for uh, a kind of performance. Many of us can relate to that. You fear people's opinion. You fear, what will so-and-so think of me if I do this? Well, you know, what, what's the right thing to do? What will look right in the eyes of people? This was the Pharisees. This was their grand concern. In fact, uh, skipping down in that same chapter, chapter 23, Verse 28 says, so also, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's not just that they desired to look good. It's not just that they had this desire for holiness. It's that they were fake. They were fake. They were doing what's right. But in their heart was lawlessness and hypocrisy. That was the Pharisees. That's who they were. They were set apart on the outside. They looked good. They even had holy garb. You know, they they looked the part of someone who was holy. And yet inwardly they were not. And then you have the Sadducees. Who were they? Well, um, if... If you look at the Pharisees and see them to be set apart, the Sadducees were the complete opposite. 
They, they were ultra liberal when it came to the things of God. They didn't accept most of the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, just the writings of Moses. And even in that, uh, they kind of looked at some of the things that uh, God had called them to. And they said, ah, don't bother with the rules. What really drove the Sadducees were themselves. They were into money. They were into clothing and, and food. They were into comforts for themselves. They were into getting it for themselves. And so you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and just total polar opposites. And yet it says that they came together. We don't know if there was a team meeting. There possibly was. In the city, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees never came together, but there was something going on. And maybe they got together on one side or the other and they came together and go, what are you guys going to do? Everyone's going out to visit that guy preaching out in the wilderness. What are you going to do about it? I don't know. What are you going to do about it? And they're going back and forth. And maybe they, they had this team meeting and said, well, let's go check it out. Let's go see what's going on. If nothing else. Let's just be nosy. Uh, it's kind of a freak show going on out there. Let's go check it out. And so they roll up to the place where John the Baptist is preaching. Out in the wilderness, they show up. Religious leaders, God's people. They show up in the wilderness to hear uh, what's going on with John. So John welcomes them. You look down in verse 7. You brood of vipers. John the Baptist, he must have been quite a guy. You know, definitely seeker sensitive. He went to the class, you know. They showed up at John John's church and so he welcomed them by calling them names. Accurate, accurate names, but names nonetheless. The snakes are here. The snakes are here. A group of snakes, of descendants of snakes. Filthy snakes are here. You can imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they walked in the community. Uh, people go, oh, there's the Pharisees. Oh, you know, hello, it's good to see you today. When they walked into uh, a building or in a home, there was a sense of give them a place of privilege because they're the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're leaders of God's people. There was a sense of respect by title. But they go out to John the Baptist Church out in the wilderness and they got a welcome. It wasn't a red carpet. It was, the snakes are here. You brood of vipers. Snakes, uh, undoubtedly out in the wilderness, they probably were familiar. There might have even been some around as John the Baptist was sharing. There, you know, there's a snake over there. The picture of a viper is one of deadly poison and dangerous and even in the times there was a sense where as you were going through the sticks there was a danger of finding a snake and it coming upon you and so by God's own design John the Baptist is given an inspired identification for the Pharisees and the Sadducees you brood of vipers you'll see later uh as Jesus spoke, even in chapter 23, that 
he uses the same term, you brood of vipers. The snakes are here. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are. So he gives them an identification, and then he asks them a question. And and we don't know the motive. I, I wish we did. Uh, obviously, God didn't intend for us to really know all the motive of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming out. But as a good preacher should, uh, John the Baptist plows ahead with the truth. Whether they're there for uh, to get baptized themselves, to repent, to uh, listen and submit, or whether they're just there to check things out, John identifies them. And then he asks them this question. He says, who warned you? Who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Uh, I, I believe there's a communication problem here between John the Baptist and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pharisees and the Sadducees, when they rolled up into a, a situation, they thought they were a blessing to whatever group they were a part of. They blessed them with their presence, right? One because they were holy and the other because they were politically powerful and there was a sense of like, hey, we're something special. And yet when they came to see John the Baptist, he says, he calls them snakes. And then he says, who warned you of the judgment that is to come? That the judgment is coming and it's coming upon you. Oh, the Pharisees have thought it is not. (laughs) It's not coming on us. We're the set apart ones. And in their mind, they were saying, I could tell you who this is coming on. You know, I know some people who are wicked in the city. In fact, some of them are right here. That person, I'm not like them. John the Baptist goes right for the core and he says, the coming judgment. Who warned you against this coming judgment? I don't think the Pharisees or the Sadducees go, coming judgment? We don't care about judgment. Not for us. And then he preaches to them a different message. This whole section, I think, is a different message. I I believe John the Baptist says, the common person as they came, he said, repent, come. You, You need this. There's judgment that is to come. And this different message goes a little bit, it's very similar, but very different. You snakes, judgment's coming. You need to repent as well. But don't just tell me about your repentance. Show me what is what God has done in your heart. You look at this passage and as he brings this this message to the Pharisees, he says this in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit. As we look at this, uh, some of you are uh say, "Oh, that gets into that whole deal, right?" <laughs> You know, uh, how, how does this work? You know, how is someone saved? How, how, how do you know that someone has come to, to know Christ and to follow after as part of God's family and is forgiven of their sins? One man has said that salvation is by faith alone. It's by faith alone. But that saving faith is never alone. Okay, I, w- I want you to get that. Salvation is by faith alone, 
But that salvation, that saving faith is never alone. What is meant by that is this. That if God has done a work in the heart of a man or a woman, what happens is this. Is there's a change on the inside that bears fruit on the outside. It shows. It shows. There's not a sense where if God has changed a heart, there's nothing to show for it. As we look at this, he looked at these dead, dead religious leaders, spiritually dead. One group having it all, the other group uh, having the appearance of having it all. And he says, bear fruit, bear fruit. Some of you are saying, well, how much fruit are you supposed to bear? And I ask you this question, how much fruit proves that it's an apple tree? Obviously, if there's bushels and bushels and they're big and they're beautiful fruit, obvious, it's obvious. But even just one apple would prove to show that it has life and the producing of fruit. As you look at this passage, you hear John the Baptist preach a message again of repentance, but get to the heart of it and say, you dead, you dead religious leaders, you bunch of snakes. We don't know here if they were coming and they got in line, right? They were having baptisms and John was baptizing and they had a line of people who had bought the message of repentance, of following after the God who loved them so much, who was sending one that was to come. We don't know if they just got in line and said, oh, I'll add that, you know. As a leader here, you know, I'm losing all my followers. But if I get baptized by John, maybe they'll all come back to us. We don't know if they got in line. We don't know if they really came for baptism or if they came just to see what was going on. But John preaches a message to them that hits them in the corner. He says, you need to repent, but not just with your mouth, not just with talking about your education or your intellect, But that should bear fruit. Bear fruit. It's not just an intellectual idea. It's a transforming message that comes from God. So he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That was his message. Well, The work of God as well. Uh, John the Baptist didn't just know the right message to preach. He also knew the heart of the recipients to some degree. He he either by God's un- allowing him to understand where they were going, a look on their face, maybe even a comment they made. He turns from the message to look at the heart of the recipient. Those Pharisees and the Sadducees. In verse 9 he says, And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. They thought they had the trump card, the rook. They they thought that they had the answer. Don't bother me with this repentance bearing fruit message. They said, we are descendants of Abraham. 
Beat that. Beat that. Don't you know who we are? We are Pharisees and Sadducees who come from the line of Abraham. Nothing beats that. They thought they had John the Baptist. And and yet, so he gives them their own argument. And then he answers it as well. He says, even now, um, I'm sorry. Verse 9, we, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You think that makes you great? It doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, uh, you, you say you're a descendant of Abraham. Big deal. These stones, by God's own voice, could become descendants of Abraham. That's pretty amazing, right? That sets aside their best thing, right? That was the biggest part of their resume. That was the biggest thing that they had to bring. And he says, it doesn't matter. In fact, he doesn't just talk about the stones. He says this. Verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, there's an axe going on here. And and what God is doing by his own design, it's not about the family, the root that you come from. In fact, some of you, because of your rejection of relationship with God, the axe is coming to be cut down. Because you bear no good fruit. There is nothing to show for the life that you live, that you claim as this great thing of spirituality. He went for the heart of the recipients. In verse 11, he reveals his own heart to them. He he preaches the sermon of repentance and bearing fruit. And then he says, I know what you're thinking. And it doesn't, it doesn't wash here. I, I know where you're going with this in your heart. But let me share with you my heart. In verse 11, he says, I baptize with water for repentance. He connects the, the water and the repentance. And he says, look, he says, I am preaching a message of repentance. And that is connected with connected with in such a way that the inward thing is coming with the outward sign of baptism. He says, that's what I've been doing out here. But something else is happening. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Imagine yourself a Pharisee or a Sadducee, and we struggle, right? We don't like to think of ourselves as that, but it shouldn't be that big of a jump, right? We roll up there, we, we find ourselves as pretty important, Uh, We get this reception and this different message. And yet we have to acknowledge all the people. It said that many or all were coming. And everyone was flocking out there. And we could see all the people. We could see what had gone on. We could probably even hear and see the lives that are changed. And you go, man, this is successful stuff going on here. John the Baptist has a good thing going. And as, as they come upon uh, John the Baptist, who do, do they think that they were better than John the Baptist or less than John the Baptist? Well, initially, at least, they probably thought they were better, right? They looked at themselves. They looked at their grooming. They looked at their outfit. They looked at their life and everything. And they look at John the Baptist and they go, man, that guy needs a haircut. He needs to shape up. I could give him a good tailor that can get him some things that look right, you know. 
that meal thing that he's doing. It can't be good. I've heard of weird diets, but that's ridiculous. They probably looked down on him. And yet they had to acknowledge that great things were going. So maybe as they were there, they said, boy, something, something big is going on here. Maybe this is the good stuff right here. Maybe this is success. And as John the Baptist speaks to them, what does he say? He says, you see what's going on here. You may even look at it as miraculous. And you see me doing it. But I want to tell you, there's one coming that is mightier than I. And they must have said, well, something's going on here that we can't do in the city. You know, we, we, we try to do stuff like this all the time and it falls flat. You know, th- this is powerful. But he just told me that what's coming or the, the one who's coming is mightier than even him. How can this be? And then he says to them, and, and I really believe this was, this was just they were having a communication problem. They were talking about two different things. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were thinking one thing. John the Baptist was preaching something else. He says this, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming is after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He interjects into the conversation or a preaching to a group of supposed holy men, supposed uh, God's people they, uh, they were the leaders of. And he brings them to the place. He says, the one that's coming is mighty. In fact, in fact, let me tell you about him by talking about sandals. I'm not worthy to touch his sandals. I can just picture one Pharisee saying to another, I wasn't planning on teach, touching anybody's sandals. I don't know what that guy's talking about. What's he talking about? He's talking about service. Being a slave. The, the picture of, of holding someone's sandals or dealing with the feet is the lowest of the low of servants. And the reason we don't get the sandal thing, there's a reason for it. You know, some of you, some of you have more than one pair of shoes. You know who you are. Some of you have many pairs of shoes. You like shoes. You have one for every outfit and you've even bought something preemptively for some outfit that hasn't even been designed yet. You just like the shoes. Some of you have um, like you drive in cars places. You don't walk. Uh, some of you, 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 you walk on the sidewalk. You don't walk in the dirt. You have roads and, and you have carpet in your house. It's us, right? Our feet are extremely clean compared to what it would have been in biblical times. Part of the culture of that day is you have a servant. You have a slave. And the slave deals with the feet. He washes them. He, he takes care of the shoes. The, the, walking in the, in the uh, mud and the dust. and It's just always filthy. These shoes are filthy. They smell bad. 
And John takes one of the grossest things ever. And he says, look, there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to touch his sandals. And the Pharisees go, I'm not planning on doing any of that sandal thing anyways. Why? Because they didn't see themselves as servants. The holy ones, they go, oh, you know, they were doing food chain, right? Where do I fit in the food chain? A friend of mine who uh, is is in the army, he went to West Point. He told me of a, a story where him and a, a he, he was walking and he came across a guy from the Air Force. And they're both officers and uh, they had kind of this standoff. They had this standoff. It happens all the time. We do it here, though most of us aren't in the military. He comes up, he's in the army, and a guy from the Air Force comes in, and they just kind of stand there looking at each other. And the, the guy kind of... And what he's saying non-verbally is, aren't you going to salute me? And, and they start looking at, you know, the, the different decorations on one another, and they're doing the math problem, right? That one beats that one, beats that one, beat. oh, I don't know, what what is that? You know, and they're going back and forth. Where do I fit? And what happens with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're going, I know where I fit. I I know where I fit. I'm at the top. I don't serve. I have servants. I'm not the one who, who bows down and does the dirty jobs. I'm the one that they do it for me. And John the Baptist explains to them, there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. I, I get this, and I, I want us to hear this. I, I want us to ask this question. Who is worthy to be a slave for God? Who? No one. No one is worthy. We're very impressed with ourselves. We say, you know, uh, I've been a Christian for quite some time, and I, I know a lot of things. Who's worthy? You know, I, 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 I've given a lot. I, I've given a lot to the church, so I should have a position there. Who is worthy? Uh, you know, that, that, that job right there, you know, I'll be a, a servant or a slave, but I'll be the head slave because I'm smarter than everybody else. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? John the Baptist would say, no one is worthy. I'm not worthy. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would have seen John the Baptist and what was going on and say, John, let, let, let's, let's hold off here. You got a good thing going here. I, I can't deny it. There's all these people coming. They, they care. They're listening to you. You got a good thing going here. This is great success. Don't put yourself down like that. This guy can't be that great that's coming. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would have said, I'm not planning on serving anybody. I'm serving my own reputation or I'm serving what benefits me. You know what? The question is, is it real service if it just benefits you? If you're just interested in it and somehow benefits you or your family, is it true service? 
John the Baptist said, let me explain this new relationship that you're going to have with the one that is to come, Jesus Christ. You would be fortunate, you would be fortunate if you could be the lowliest slave for him. You would be fortunate. I'm sure the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't get it. I'm sure of it. We look in chapters that are going to go on. We have similar uh, interactions like this with Christ himself. John the Baptist explains how we fit into the food chain. I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. I, I look at that. I'm worthy to carry his sandals. It says what will happen when Jesus comes. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I believe what this refers to is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As one comes to know Christ, uh, they are marked by the Holy Spirit and dwelled by the Holy Spirit in a sense which the Holy Spirit now becomes our teacher, the one, the power that we receive to accomplish and to do what God wants us to do. It, it gives us this relationship and it gives us eyes to see the sins in front of us. He also says with fire, and there's a part of that that is purification as well. There's a distinction of fires here. If you look down, uh, we're going to get there in a moment. The, uh, he wipes out with fire, but he also purifies with fire. Verse 12, he brings it to conclusion uh, with this group. And I don't know if all were listening or just the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says this, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, fire judgment. What's the picture? He says, let me explain what is going on. This is what Jesus is about. He's taking in all the harvest. He's bringing it in. And he's bringing it into his place of separation. And what he is, is he's taking his fork and he's shaking it out to separate that which will go to be destroyed and that which will be brought to himself and to be considered valuable. He says to these dead, spiritually dead Pharisees and Sadducees, this is what God's doing. This is the plan of God being worked out. The one that is to come. This is why you need to repent now. It needs to be genuine that it would produce works to produce fruit. This is what happens, that that God desires to change you. Not your outward garment so you look better. Not your the, the stuff that you get so you can live a, a, a more cushy life. He wants to change you so that you will be His. As I think about this message, um, it's appropriate on so many levels for us as a church. And not just as a church, but for us as individuals. The issue of repentance needs to happen now. The issue of service and slaving, you say, you need to think of yourself as that. Not think of yourself as a big shot in this kingdom, but rather a servant and a slave. And happy to be so. This morning, um, as we walk away, I just want to make one last comment about uh, being a servant slave of the Most High God. 
Uh, is it good or bad to be a slave? Another trick question, right? It all hinges on one thing. Who's your master? Who's your master? And you say, well, there's more questions to be answered, right? If you know his name, that's one thing. But what's he like? What's he like? book of Galatians tells us and unpacks this whole idea of slavery. But the beauty of slavery is that God doesn't bring you into his household to be a slave and says, you go live out there. But he says, come live in my house. And he doesn't say, you'll do what I want you to do and I'll barely feed you. He says, no, come sit at my table. He doesn't say, come slave and you'll be a, a second class citizen. He says, you're my slave, but come be my son. Be my son. And all the benefits of my household are yours. What a beautiful picture. I want to tell you, uh, we need some adjusting to go on in our own heart. We need some repentance to go on in our hearts. That God would remove our own thoughts and replace them with his very own. Let's pray. God, um, this passage, you've laid uh, two messages side by side. That of man-made religion and that of a relationship, a religion that you have designed. Not just a set of rules, not just a set of things to do, but rather that we would give ourselves to you. As pathetic as we may be, but we would give ourselves to you. We would let down our guard and allow you to rearrange the thoughts of our heart. And in so doing, that you would change our heart, that it would change our life. God, I pray that we would be more like John the Baptist and less of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. God, do your work in us, we pray. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.